Welcome to the O'Reilly Security Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Allen. This week, I spoke with Scott Roberts, Security Operations Manager, or as he'll tell you, the Director of Bad Guy Catching at GitHub. In this episode, we'll talk about threat intelligence, incident response, and how they interrelate. Enjoy the show. Hi, Scott. Thanks for joining me on the O'Reilly Security Podcast today. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk about threat intelligence and incident response today. So uh, let's start with a brief introduction. Can you tell us about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Scott Roberts. I am the CERT manager for GitHub. I've been doing incident response and threat intelligence for, gosh, about 12 years or so at this point, Um, working in a pretty wide variety of environments from government to finance to uh, obviously the, the Silicon Valley world at this point. I blog a little bit, I write software, uh, and I am an instructor for SANS uh, Forensics 578 course on cyber threat intelligence. Great. Well, your area of expertise is the intersection of threat intelligence and incident response, or as you have termed it, intelligence-driven incident response. Can you walk me through exactly what you mean when you say intelligence-driven incident response? Sure. So uh, a a long time ago, I was having a discussion I, I can't even remember who with, just talking about kind of what threat intelligence was. And in a way, I, I found it kind of ridiculous because it doesn't exist on its own. It really can't. If you're creating threat intelligence and it's just ending there, uh, you're not doing anything with it. And ultimately, it ended up being about how threat intelligence integrates with the traditional incident response capability. So is your intelligence informing how you respond to incidents? Is it informing how you identify incidents? And, and ultimately, is that incident response process then coming back around and informing your intelligence? And so it's the idea that these aren't really two separate things. They're simply two pieces of the same puzzle. Because if you're doing incident response without doing the intelligence piece, well, then I've seen organizations that keep getting hit with the same thing time after time because they they lose track of it. They don't have a memory and they don't realize how to grow off of what they learned during the incident response. Now, by the same token, if as I said, if you have threat intelligence without incident response, you're just kind of shouting into the void and, and nobody's taking that, making it actionable. And there are organizations that struggle with that as well. So when, uh, when I started talking about this book with uh, Rebecca Brown, it really became, it's, it's not about one or the other. The problem most people seem to have is how do you combine the two together to make them actionable and make them feed into each other? And so when we say intelligence-driven incident response, it's taking those two pieces that individually have some value and ultimately putting them together to really create something that starts to cause problems for adversaries. Great. So it sounds like that's a lot about like building context and really thinking about those intersections and that not necessarily it's kind of like a mind-blowing intersection of these two things. It's just a natural, organic intersection that people should probably already be thinking about. I think that's really accurate. I mean, there's a lot of problems with, we realize that a lot of the problems that are going on in security aren't about tools and aren't about data. It's about how do we build workflows and processes where these things work together effectively. And that's really what we tried to explore is how do you take these two individual ideas and fit them together? Uh, I'm going to use a bad management word (laughs) here. I'll say with, with good symmetry, where they're actually building interfaces. So you understand How does your threat intel team get requests from your incident response team? How does the incident response team find out what the threat intel team is worried about? 
And how do you do that, whether it's two big teams of 20 people each or one person who's doing all of this stuff by themselves? Because both are common environments and both are places where I think you can be really effective doing this, this type of joint work, partially because you can start thinking of it as one and the same instead of two separate, disparate processes. That's a common thread we're seeing throughout security in general, though. Like, how do you really build context into all of these activities that you're already doing? How do you create processes that encourage communication between teams that should already have communication? And because there's a lot of silos, um, there we go with business buzzwords again, but because they're all all of these silos, we have to think about how do we break them down and um, where we may be missing some opportunities to be more efficient or effective. So I think you kind of touched on this, um, but there's some benefits to kind of combining these. Beyond just communication, is it more effective? Are there other benefits that we maybe missed in our discussion so far? I think a lot of it's a maturity question. I think that by thinking of these as two things that can really be put together, you know, a lot of people will ask the question, well, when should I start doing threat intelligence or when should I start doing this? And the answer is you should probably be building a joint capability from the beginning. And I hope what we touch on is the idea that they are so so interrelated that, frankly, you can be doing both at the same time relatively early on, um, and whether that's a, a really small team or whether it's a bigger team. Fantastic. Um, so we are talking a little bit about intelligence-driven instant response, and my next question actually is, like, where do we start? Um, and you kind of touched on this just briefly already, but you know, do people need to have threat intelligence program already? Do they need to have instant response? What's the best way to get started? I think the key in the beginning, no matter how big or small the team is, is you need to think about incidents as a, a ongoing problem. There, mm -hmm. there are very few times when an attacker will launch an attack once and just say, well, that's, that got discovered or that got blocked. We're done. We're just going to go away and never, never touch on this again. Hmm. Um, in almost all cases, there's a continuous process. And so I've worked in organizations where we would do the work and identify an incident and promptly forget about it. And then three weeks later, we would suddenly stumble across the exact same thing. Hmm. And I think ultimately what incident response, intelligence driven incident response is about is what are you doing in those intervening three weeks? What are you doing in that time between incidents from the same actor with the same target? And how are you using what you've learned to prepare for the next time? And I think that set of processes is something that can be done if you're a one-person incident response team by yourself, you know, managing everything on your own. At some point, it's as simple as, are you keeping good notes? Are you thinking about what were the root causes and what things did I miss and what could help me do this better in the future? If you're doing that, I would argue that's already intelligence-driven incident response because you're taking the time to work through a process of what happened, what did we do, how did the adversary respond, and planning how you can basically uh, push that into the future and understand what it's going to look like the next time. So at the very least, even if you can't identify the next iteration, you don't get hit by the same thing again. Now, as a team expands, as you mature, I think there becomes the opportunity for more specialized types of analysis, more specialized processes. And that's a maturity aspect more than anything else. But I, I think that the cool idea about intelligence-driven incident response is it's something you can do from the smallest teams to the largest teams. 
That's great. And it sounds like it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation. You don't have to have it start one way or another. You can really start implementing facets of intelligence-driven response, no matter where you're starting from. I think that's that's absolutely true. And you know, there's there's a couple different approaches one can take, whether you want to start with how do we make our incident response team better? Uh, on the other side, I've seen organizations that that haven't even had a security team yet who start with with an intelligence-driven approach by looking at uh, instead of starting with a very tactical mindset of what are the IPs we need to pay attention to or how do we identify this particular threat, they start with a strategic mindset of what are the things that should concern our organization and how can we mm. build an incident response capability that can help us find those. If you're running a bank, then the cool new advanced persistent threat of the week, and, and when I say that, I mean an intelligence threat, is probably not something you need to be paying attention to. But if your CISO is getting all their information from what's on CNN, uh, they may be freaking out about you know the brand new Russian attack group when they really need to be worrying about a few guys in Eastern Europe who are you know trying to steal Bitcoin. So you can take either side when you're starting out an intelligence-driven program, whether it's intelligence first and understanding what we need to defend against, or incident response first and figuring out how intelligence can enhance that capability. I think both are valid. I think both have, have a lot of strengths to them. I think ultimately both are trying to meet in the middle, though, where you're trying to get a, a team that is bridging the incident response capability on the tactical side and business needs and business goals on the other side, and then trying to understand the continuum between them. That makes a tremendous amount of sense. I mean, ultimately, we're saying start where you're at and work with what you already know as an organization and how you're already working. Well, I'm going to jump over and we talked briefly about threat intelligence a little bit. But as we know, there's a lot of confusion in uh, security in general about terms. Um, so let's define threat intelligence really clearly. Sure. So I mean, intelligence is tough because intelligence ultimately means two things. It means a product, it, you know, some some output, and it means a process. And and those two things are interrelated. Uh, when we're talking about threat intelligence, from my perspective, it is it is almost always referencing the process of taking intrusion analysis, incident response data, and working it through uh, a defined process to pick out which parts are important, to contextualize it, to enrich it, and ultimately to pick out which are the pieces that are most important to your stakeholders and provide them that output as an intelligence product. So too often when we're talking about intelligence, people uh, get very focused on the product and skip out on the process. And that, to me, is, is really the important part. And so it's things like understanding what questions your stakeholders have, what, what do they want to know, and then using that to, to gather information and, and figure out what product is going to answer their question. And so that's something we, we talk a lot about in the book of going through different types of questions and how those work together to come up with different types of products. The thing about that is the process through the whole thing is the same. It's still that idea of gathering requirements, collecting information, enriching it and processing it so we can use it effectively, taking the time to analyze it, and then sharing it back to whatever the stakeholder is. The other last one that people tend to forget when talking about the intelligence process is the very final bit, which is feedback. The, the last part of the intelligence process dives into 
Did you answer the question the stakeholder had? Did that lead to more questions? Was there a better way you could have orchestrated the process to be meaningful to them? And so I, I think it's important whenever we're discussing intelligence to, to really break down between that process and the product and ultimately understand that they're, they're interrelated and it's actually basically impossible to have one without the other. Interesting. Um, when we talk about threat intelligence, something that we hear a lot from people is that finding the real signals and what can be a really high volume of information is just a really common challenge. And in many cases, security pros already feel like they're stretched pretty thin. So how do you process threat intelligence efficiently? How do you prioritize and realize what the real threats are versus the noise? So I think when, when folks get into intelligence, you know, the, the first thing they want to do is try to get the biggest haystack imaginable with this mm. idea that there's going to be some type of magic way to pick out where the needle is in, in that haystack. And while I certainly understand the appeal and I get why that's a, a logical place, especially as you know, vendors very often push, here's how big our haystack is, and you, know, you can find the answer. That's often a very abstract and, and as you noted, kind of intensive job to get through all that and figure it out. When I look at intelligence programs, the first thing I look at is, how much are you doing with your own investigation data? The mass appeal of gathering a ton of information is all about trying to figure out, you know, what's the IP in there that's, that's most important to me or what's the piece of information I need to find. And often cases I find that information's already in a team's incident response database or their uh, incident management platform. So I think the first place is to look internally. If you want to know what threats are going to be important to an organization, look at the ones you've already experienced. And once you've got all those figured out, and once you understand everything about those, then go look at you know what's at, what else is out there and start spending time with vendor reports and big services and things like that. But I think the first place to, to be really effective and to, to know that you're doing work that's relevant to your organization's defense in the future is to look at your past. That makes a tremendous amount of sense. I mean, defend against the threats that you already know you have versus something that could potentially maybe affect you as an organization. It's really easy to get caught up in uh, the hypothetical, and especially as some of these things make the news, it becomes really trendy to keep up with whatever's the new threat of the day or whoever has the, the cool graphic that's showing up on reports. But in many cases, it's all about the things that are already going on and chances are those things will continue to go on in the future. That makes sense. And it gives you a great starting point too, especially when you're an organization that maybe isn't very mature yet. It just gives you like, this is where I start. Um, and sometimes just finding those starting places can be a challenge, especially with so much happening in the space. So incident response, uh, it's consistently one of those things that I hear from security pros at conferences or just in conversations that it's pretty universally painful. In regard to incident response, there's like a flow or a cycle that sort of outlines the steps for how that process should work. And perhaps that's a great place to start kind of walking people through what they should be doing for incident response. Can you walk me through what those steps are? So the, the typical cycle as it's laid out, there's a little bit of a background of you know where it came from, but I, I always knew it as the SANS incident response cycle is uh, six steps. The six steps are, are preparation, identification, containment, eradication, recovery and lessons learned. And so preparation, I think, is the one that gets the, the short end of the stick in most cases, which is what are you doing before an incident happens to make sure you're going to be effective? And, and I understand this is a really tough problem, especially in organizations that are seeing 
incident after incident after incident and never really feel like they get a moment to breathe and to prepare. But to me, that's where you're doing a lot of the threat intelligence work we've we've talked about. That's where you're building out tools. That's where you're uh, practicing and building processes and practicing those processes. That's everything that happens before the incident takes place. Uh, Move on to identification, which is finding the incident itself, whether that's an intrusion detection alert, whether that's a user who says, hey, I saw something weird, or, you know, in the worst case scenario where you end up on, you know, Brian Krebs blog or somebody from the FBI calls you and lets you know there's a bad thing going on. Uh, From there, we move into the the response phase, which is broken out into the the next three things of containment, eradication, and recovery. So uh, I always think of it as uh, Containment is keeping it from getting worse. It's it's stopping the bleeding in the in the short term. Typically, this is you know if you see an incident response where someone disconnects their entire network for a period of time so they can they can fix things up. That that's a good example. It's it's not something you can do for a long period of time, but it stops the immediate problem. Eradication. You know, typically speaking, this means removing malware and things like that from infected hosts. But in a lot of cases, especially today, as we're seeing attacks that aren't focused on malware as much as uh, credentials or other types of access, it could mean rolling passwords or removing malicious accounts, things like that. And then finally, recovery, which is those two previous things, those two previous steps, they disrupt business. They keep you from being able to generally use those networks to do whatever they're meant to do. And recovery is bringing uh, that network back into function. Uh, the last stage of this is lessons learned. And again, you know, kind of like preparation, this is the one that also gets forgotten about. And to me is really key because it leads into the intelligence phase, which is uh, what are the lessons learned? What did you see during this incident? What are the key pieces of information? What are the things you could have done better? What are the things that need to flow into your next preparation phase? So that's the process as as I have learned from the beginning and you know still still think of it as now. Yeah, and one of the things that I think um, a lot of people find really kind of intimidating about the process is that it doesn't always take a straight linear path through these steps. And it almost feels sometimes like there's not really clear boundaries. Can you talk about what that might look like? Oh, that that is that is a a can be can be problematic in the simplest sense and can be incredibly difficult in in the complicated senses. And so um it's everything from I, I've been involved in incident responses where we go, okay, we know one host is infected. So we've gotten through our identification. We're, we're moving on to containment. Let's fix that host. And based on that one, you figure out, oh, no, there's actually three other hosts that are infected. And so now you're kind of going back again and having to, to rework through the process. You know, that's the simplest side. A much more complicated side, uh, Penn State University got compromised a few years ago. And one of the things that they ended up talking about was they brought in a team to help them identify the attacker that they had found. And that firm that was brought in found an entirely separate set of attacks that were going on inside their organization. So it it wasn't just they found a couple extra compromised hosts. They literally found an entire different campaign going on against them. And so these models that we use, like the, the incident response process, are great ways to think about problems. And especially as you're getting started, they provide a a process and a way of looking at it that sort of helps you take these uh, crazy, complicated, abstract concepts and put them into something you can understand. But models are only useful until they're not. And so I urge people, you know, it's they're they're useful for learning, but we can't get too tied up in them. Because as you alluded to, often cases, uh, 
there are often cases where the, the box isn't big enough and that something's going to spill out. And so you need to take the time to uh, use these models when they're useful, but understand that you're going to have to think outside that fairly often. Yeah, no, that makes sense too. Um, and I think the other thing here, and you touched on this, but I think it's good to just like reiterate the point is that learning piece, like what do you learned should be feeding back into preparation for any sort of next event. Yeah, that was that was something that was really important, uh, has been really important to me in in cases where I've been on teams that were doing incident response really, really well. Uh, we became our own feedback loop in the output of one process becomes the input for the next process. And it continues to kind of build upon itself. And it's kind of like a snowball rolling downhill. There's some really great work done by this, uh, an Air Force colonel by the name of John Boyd talked about uh, the ODA loop, uh, the observe, orient, decide, act. And ultimately, to a certain extent, whether it's the SANS incident response process or the intelligence process, they're specific versions of that process. And observe is take in your surroundings, orient is contextualize that against what you know, decide is pick a course of action, and act is then do it. And as soon as you're through that, you start the cycle over again. And in a lot of cases, when we're, we're discussing these very specific cycles, they're all just built upon that basis. And so ultimately, what they're trying to do is help us get through that cycle faster, so that uh, we can understand what's going on and, and take action faster than the adversary can. Yeah, that makes, once again, a lot of sense. Um, and this kind of leads into another question. Um, I think we kind of touched on it. But like most security processes, like intelligence-driven incident response, it's not a one-time kind of scheduled task, but like this recurring process. How do you ensure that you're improving over time? I think the key thing is taking the time to do those end processes that, you know, I've, I've touched on in both, both the incident response process and the intelligence process, there are those those two beginning and end processes, whether it's preparation or requirements collection for the beginning and lessons learned, or well, it's actually also can be just lessons learned on the other end, is taking the time to go through those things. And they're, they're tough and they're easy to skip because they don't seem to have a lot of output. But Courtney, to your point, there where you improve, there where you start figuring out how do we do these things better than we did them last time. So I think making the time to say it's important that after an incident, we have a retrospective. We take the time to understand uh, what were the things we did well and how can we augment those things and what were the things we did poorly and how can we mitigate those in the future. And doing that both on as an intelligence team, doing that as an incident response team, and ultimately doing that together as as a combined team will move your incident response program forward more than buying a new tool or you know getting a new feed in because you know often cases like we, we touched on earlier the places we struggle and the problems we have aren't tooling or aren't data they're those processes that we use to interconnect them yeah it sounds like one indicator might be if you see the same sort of problem sort of repeatedly like that's probably an indicator that you're perhaps missing that learning step or you're not moving that into the preparation step because it's one thing to see new types of things come up. But when you see the same sort of problems continuously, that's likely an indicator, right? That you probably need to revisit your processes. The phrase, uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me comes to mind because I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, as an incident responder, nothing's more frustrating than getting hit by the same type of attack or same thing multiple times in a, in a row. 
and responding to it poorly multiple times in a row. Mm. So I couldn't agree more and taking the time, whether it's to improve your processes or automate or find a way to get ahead of those things, because yeah, there's always going to be a new attack, but you can at least protect, you, you can at least work to keep yourself from being hit by the old attacks again. Absolutely. And one of my last questions today is, uh, and this may be a tough one to answer, but what is a mature intelligence-driven instant response program look like? I know that this is sort of something we're still formulating and figuring out, but do you have any examples of maybe an organization that you've seen that's done this well and what that looks like? I guess if I wanted to be simple about it, I would say, going, going back to what we were just discussing, it's a team that doesn't get hit by the same thing multiple times. I have, I have been lucky enough to be in a couple organizations that I think had gotten had gotten good at that and had gotten to that point of maturity. And it's a really incredible thing to watch. It kind of reminds me of uh, watching a professional kitchen where sort of there's all this chaos going on and blades and fire and all that. Uh, and everybody just knows how to move and, and be in the right place at the right time. And, and that's what it's felt like to me. It's, it's a team where people know their job. They know how they're going to interact with everybody else. There are processes in place to know what to do. There are systems in place to know, you know where data goes or how to analyze it. And there's a sense of leadership in place that when all of those things fall apart and everything goes awry, people can still get on the same page and still get towards get get to the goal. You know, I, I worked in one organization that, that I, I think I saw this and we had gotten to the point where when we first started, you know, someone from uh, from law enforcement would bring us a, an indicator and say, hey, we think this is bad. And six weeks later, we would know everything that was going on. And through improving our team, improving our processes, getting in new tools, but more than anything, just working together and learning from what we'd done. We went from that taking six weeks to proactively identifying things and being able to respond to them in six hours. And that was one of those kind of whoa moments for me when I saw what it could look like when it's done really, really well. It takes time. It takes effort. It's involved. It's, it's investing in people and investing in processes as well as tools and services and all that kind of stuff. But when it works, it's, it's something special to watch. Yeah, I really liked the kitchen analogy that makes a tremendous amount of sense just in terms of complexity and what people have to deal with. Um, and I think ultimately what you're saying is maturity looks like continuous improvement. One of the things I, I love and hate sometimes about the uh, incident response world is you know, you have an intelligent adversary on the other side who's doing everything possible to be where you're not. And if you're really good at identifying a particular type of attack, well, then they're going to stop doing that and they're going to pick something else. And that means that there's, there's no end state where you can just say we're good because the second you say we're good, someone on the other side is trying to figure out, well, what's the place they're least good and we're going to go there. And I tell people when they're just entering the field, like that's either something that gets you excited or that's something that should scare you off because there's always someone who's trying to figure out your one weak point and get there. And the only way I have found in, in my career to counter that is to be, as you said, constantly learning, constantly improving, and constantly trying to better yourself and your team. That sounds really great. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me today on the O'Reilly Security Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. You can reach Scott on Twitter at sroberts.
If you like the show, remember to subscribe to the O'Reilly Security Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. Mm-hmm.